coffee and a little bit of conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations and Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Ross Fagan. I'm here joined today with Oscar Willis from the MacLife. Oscar, welcome. Thank you very much. And um, massive. Thank you very much for having me. No, I really appreciate it. Massive time difference here. You're now currently in Dubai, and I'm now in Dublin, Ireland, and home of the Champ Champ. So we've had to work around that and make sure that, you know, um, I'm not then doing it at nine o'clock and it's three o'clock in the morning or whatever over in Dubai. So, yeah, yeah it's different. It's, uh, it's- it's been it's been an interesting one. The sleep schedule whenever you come to Abu Dhabi and, and Fight Island is always a hard one to navigate because obviously some of the events are at prime time here and some of the events are at prime time in the States. So once you get your sleep schedule set for one of them, uh, you then have to change it again immediately. So last night and I went to bed at five in the morning after the fights and then I don't know, I don't even know what time I have to get up, but it's always challenging. So this is just part of that. It's no worries at all. I'd say your body clock is just all over the place, and especially as it gets closer and closer, the nerves are in and the, the excitement. <laughs> and you know, I'd say it's hard to adjust to that. But anyway, before the Mac life and before we ended up getting to where we are now, I'm interested to kind of know what it was like maybe growing up where you grew up and you know what shows that, that line of work and uh, yeah, what it was kind of like in your, in your younger years. Well, I was never very good at school, I was very badly behaved at school, I was uh, the class clown. and all that sort of stuff um and a cocky little shit basically and then uh so with that in mind i didn't i I left school i tried i thought i'd become an actor and i went to a college to study drama and and then that turned out to be incredibly dramatic so i didn't really like it um so i ended up becoming a builder i was a builder for three years um and it's just like such a hard graft and i think everyone should probably do that at some point in their life to appreciate um actually just working with your hands and getting home smelling awful and feeling just physically exhausted and then that eventually was just it wasn't for me i was i was struggling with it it was, it was just a horrible time like working is you know from ireland i was from southeast of england working with uh you know in the cold and the wet all the time it was pretty brutal so i started wondering what if i had any actual skills and i was always quite good at writing i was good at english at school and then i started looking i just had this idea that if i could get to the states it would all sort of work out. I just felt like if I could get away from England and the the grind I was in, I would sort of just somehow flourish. So I managed to save a bit of money, borrowed some money and um, applied to a university and got accepted. And then I, I just made the move really at 21 years old. I just sort of jumped on the plane and went over. And that was it really. That was how I started anyway. So you kind of feel like, you know, without being cliche, like the American dream, you just felt once you got over there, something was going to probably happen and, you know, maybe something, a new opportunity that you'd never get in, in Southeast England anyway. Yeah, it was always, it was like a little bit irrational. It was, I was, I was sort of 20 when I came up with the idea and it, it, all I could think was like, oh, I'll be driving down in a car and there'll be palm trees and it'll be sick. Um, I had no real idea what I, before the university idea came, that was always just a way, going to university in America was a way to just get me in the country, to be honest. It, it, this is just sort of where I ended up. I originally, I was like, well, I'm going to go to Las Vegas and I'll just get paid under the table, be a cleaner at one of the hotels and that'll be cool. And then, you know, that didn't, that didn't go anywhere. And then I got, went to university, but yeah, for whatever reason, I just felt I would do well over there. I think I watched Love Actually. And there's an English guy in there that goes over and he gets with loads of women because he has the English accent. I think that was probably a major factor as well in my decision making at that time. Yeah, I, I can I can understand that. And what was it like moving away from home? Like, what what was it like with family and stuff? Were they probably shocked initially, or was it a bit of like, yeah, go for it? 
Uh, my mother was very supportive because she, she could see how cripplingly unhappy I was um, at the time. My dad was less supportive. Um, he's from Northern Ireland. And he was just in that sort of, it's easy to cut off your emotions rather than discuss them sort of way. He told me, well, go and don't come back. So that was always a bit rough. But once I was away, he became very supportive. Um, and I, I never anticipated there'd be much of a culture shock, but actually I, I moved to Florida, um, a place called Pensacola, which is kind of like a, a southerny sort of town in America. And there is a culture shock. Uh, so I was very, very homesick for like the first year. I was really, it was pretty hard. Um, just no threat. Like the, the, the band is different. Like the people, you can't make jokes. Like you can't rip the piss out of each other. And that's a big part of my sense of humor. And so that was kind of a difficult adjustment, but it worked out eventually made some friends that sort of stuff but for initially it's yeah, quite tricky i know what you mean like the irish and the english are very much like you know if, you, if you're taking the mick out of somebody it's because you like them and you're trying to have a bit of crack with them like but uh, maybe the americans probably or even other cultures they don't really understand that kind of uh, sense of banter and it's kind of like offensive to them nearly but it's the opposite for us well i think i think for, for me i found that it's it's like the ability to make yourself the butt of the joke you know, so it's the ability to laugh at yourself. And I find that the English always do that and the Irish always do that. Um, but I think a portion of Americans kind of, it's almost like an affront to their manhood if you like make fun of them, especially in front of other people. So they kind of take it dead serious and it's just like, it's not a big a deal, mate. Um, yeah. So there's yeah. that shock. Yeah, I suppose it's just different going from one kind of environment to another. But then you're over there, you're, you're you know, you're in uh, Florida and then you went to Seattle University and studied journalism, am I correct? Yeah. Yes, I did. And yeah. what was the attraction to journalism in the end? Because I know you went to the States to kind of just find a path. But what was that? Was it the writing? Well, was, so I did, neglect, I did neglect one part of the story. When I applied for my visa in the States, I, um, I said I wanted to become a mixed martial arts writer. because, And I, the re I said I wanted to go to the States to do that because it wasn't very popular in the UK at that time um, in 2012. That was like pre-Connor. Um, and he sort of made the boom happen and we'll get into that. But so I always want, wanted to get into writing and MMA. That was kind of just the lofty dream. Um, so that was in my mind. And then when I went to Seattle to study journalism, uh, I sort of studied general journalism and, and that's actually when the opportunity at the Mac life came up. So I actually was incredibly lucky to get in um, at a high level site, like right away. No, no one else really gets that, that chance, that luck. Uh, but it was something I was going towards. I just had no idea how I was going to make it happen. And so again, very lucky to get the opportunity that I did. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? You, you're just there going about your business and then you got a call or did you, was there an application form or? No, I saw the backlife. I, I was just a massive Connor fan, like one, like an irrationally big Connor fan. Um, and I, I saw the backlife pop up and I, I reached out and, sort of saw it was a news outlet that was affiliated with him and, and i kind of just suggested like hey look if you guys if you guys need someone i'm available and then i think uh my boss lee dumphy uh who started the site said yeah you know um we'll try you out and then i just once i got the opportunity i just made sure i thought i saw to myself like, well this has a potential to be a massive site so i better not waste this opportunity so i tried to put in as much work at a decent quality as I could. I would be writing articles under my desk in classes on my phone, going to the bathroom if news break to, to write something in the bathroom and stuff like that, you know. Um, just anything I could do to just constantly be on top of it and make the opportunity work for me. So it started off kind of randomly and then it just sort of 
just blew up like quickly and qu- quicker and quicker. Yeah, because like I've had um, I've had Colin Bourne on, you know, a couple of times now, and he was only on there two weeks ago. But like we were talking about how the Mac Life evolved from like it wasn't a website, it wasn't a an Instagram page, it wasn't a social media outlet, or even a, you know a platform where fighters were being interviewed or anything. It was just vlogs. Like Colin was going yeah. around following Connor. Uh, you know, documenting essentially video logs with, with these um, interesting trips in America, New York, Boston, wherever they were. And it was like an almost like a UFC embedded, but within Connor's kind of uh, camp. And you, you got to see things you never seen. And then I think that evolved then to like Leo stepping in and, you know, taking on the role as, as MD. And then you guys like grew, grew, grew. And you just hit 1 million followers like in that space of time already, just there last week, I think. Yeah, it was uh, five years. I, well, I've, been, I've been involved since 2016, so it's 2021 now. So it's just under, like, under five years we managed to get there. And we've obviously been very fortunate to have like the Mayweather fight. It was obviously massive. Uh, Khabib and Connor's success, obviously, is a direct representation, uh, reflection of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has grown very quickly. Uh, and yeah, it, it's funny how it started off as, maybe started off as having no sort of set direction. It was kind of, let's just do something and see how it how it spins out and it spun out quite well were you, were you kind of like what did it feel like hitting the million because i know it's not oscar willis instagram but like it's it's the mac life and it's all your hard work going and writing articles underneath the desk heading out making sure you've done whatever you had to do that was all hard earned um success through you through lee through the whole team i'm sure there's a huge amount of background work being done but like, what did the million feel like? Because it, it was, sent, it, it basically, it was your achievement also, shared. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I haven't really given it much thought. I know that sounds like really underwhelming, but um, to be honest, I'm at a Conor, Conor McGregor fight week, so it was just like, that's cool. I'm, I'm back to work. Um, I, I didn't, apart from, I put out one tweet about it, and that, that was really sort of all I thought about it, because, I don't know, I want five million now. Let's get to ten. Um, yeah, I like that. So, I like that. Yeah, so it's 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 cool, and I will give it. I will take some time to appreciate that growth, mm-hmm. but um, I'm I'm one of those guys that well, look, a Connor fight week is busy for me, so uh, mm-hmm. I probably haven't had any time to really stop and appreciate it. But yeah, let's carry on. Let's go. Do, do you yeah. think there's the element as well that it was coming anyway? I mean, you know, all that work being put in, it was it was bound to come anyway. So I guess you probably just haven't really. Yeah, you probably just haven't soaked it up fully yet. But what what's it been like um, with with fight week? Like even with the camp, were you in Portugal much? No, I didn't go to Portugal. I was in. in I mean, COVID and travel. I would I would have liked to, and I I, I plan to at some point. But um, COVID obviously travels. Just that was a non-starter. And the UFC schedule has been so busy, like week, 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 week events that um, I haven't missed any. I, I I was at the most of any media member last year. Which is like my little, my little achievement. But, um, yeah, congratulations! I, I I would have noticed that from I mean even Mike Tyson's League of Legends fight. Like you know any yeah, cool. main event, you're there and you're kind of getting your questions in and, and you always know when it's Oscar talking. Like I always find if I hear your voice coming, I know the main guys. Like you know you've got severe MMA, you've got a couple of different people. Um, but for the Irish end of it, when I hear you speak and I'm like, oh, Macklow's there. You are yeah. now affiliated with that. Yeah, it's funny. Not many people know my name. But they go, oh, it's a Mac Life guy. <laughs> so that's uh, quite funny. Yeah. Which has its pros and cons, man. I mean, like to be honest, I, like I mentioned earlier about self promotion, 
I, I would rather get recognition from like people like my peers to be like oh he's a very good interviewer uh, when uh when like a tweet happens like I, I do a tweet that um does really well or something like that or gets noticed by a fighter i hate it it gives me mad anxiety like to turn on your twitter and it's just like going mental with notifications i'm like oh jesus i always think i've done something wrong i was like oh no so um yeah it's weird I, I, i'm being recognized more and it's something i'm kind of trying to get used to really but it's been, yeah it's, it's, it's what i've asked you on i mean like if i never seen your face or if you were always just behind the camera asking questions i probably wouldn't have known who to ask on so it's nice that you're getting that good exposure you're standing in front of dana last week talking to him it's not your first time you know like the mayweather one i've spoke to a couple of connor's friends and, and closer circle and they're all saying like that was one they found difficult to actually live in the moment like it was like a all a big dream walking around bumping into mayweather you know it was a weird ex- experience yeah it's, it's funny man because it's like i said about the million subscribers like you're just kind of going with it. it's always like so busy it's like okay well we've got to be here then we've got to be here then we've got to be here i did i will say yesterday at the we were on the bus on the way to the arena i will say yesterday i did have one of those rare moments but i did sit there like god my job is pretty cool like I'm, I'm in abu dhabi i'm about to be one of very few people allowed to go to this event and and watch a sport that i love so i did have a moment of reflection yesterday but i have to say that usually um, I have to make myself have those moments. Like when you're having a bad day, it's all relative. I once heard a great expression that a bad day at the races is better than a good day at work. And I consider my job to be absolutely amazing. So when I'm having a bad day, I do have to sometimes stop and think like, I'm not like digging on the building site again, you know, relax. It's not that bad. Yeah. You can always look back and compare it to something that, that maybe you would have still been doing. So what do you feel like being there yesterday and, and Max's performance? What was that like? Um, I personally thought it was absolutely sensational. Um, yeah. I, I, I sort of out, out of words, really. I thought it was his best performance of his career. Um, I thought that he fought like he had a chip on his shoulder. Um, probably unnecessary to have that chip, but he did. And I just thought it was, it was very cool, man. Uh, it, it was... There, there are performances that, that Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez, I always think, is one of if not the best Anson Silva versus Forrest Griffin is another one and and last night mm-hmm. is now in that echelon for me just to just sensational yeah the Eddie one is definitely one you could put in there although it wasn't like like a Diaz 2 and it didn't go the length and it wasn't a full on war it was how Connor's skill set showed in how the sharpness yeah. and Eddie being Eddie being a, a pretty decent wrestler and not even being able to put his hands on, on Connor's waist like the, yeah. the skill set there was amazing. But yeah, I want to move on then to, you know, you're working then with the Mac Life, you're getting to travel around the world, you're in the States, you're back and back and forth. But what is kind of like a typical day for Oscar working in the Mac Life? For people to understand what it's like behind the scenes. They only see when you're at these big events, but I'm sure Monday to Friday, you know, you're not sitting around twiddling your thumbs. No, no, no. So it depends. I mean, a lot of my, if I'm not at an event, I'll be writing articles. So that means a lot of time just, it's almost like working in an office. So it's like looking for news, calling people, um, seeing what other sites have got hold of and stuff like that. So that's a lot of stuff. I, I do help with the Instagram and the social pages. There's like six of those, like including the Facebook. So that takes a lot of my time. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of admin sort of stuff you know just organizing making sure you're organized and then when the events come um that's when it gets a bit more hectic but that's also the fun bit you know getting to talk to these guys and interviewing them and asking them questions is, is fun and uh so ufc in this current climate are very good about schedule you need to be here at this time so you'll go 
you'll sit at your table and you'll just wait and they'll just bring them to you. So it's very easy when it's like this. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where the real like grit of the work is, is just to sit in a room for eight hours asking people questions. Or so not you're asking like, questions, but listening to other people asking questions. Yeah, yeah. But, but you're like in your hotel room, are you preparing a list of like, you know, right, I'm going to prepare 15 questions and then I might ask five. What's going on there? No, like? I find that if I prepare any questions, then all I'm thinking of when I'm talking to someone is what is the next question I have prepared. So I actually try not to prepare for any interview. I'd rather just go and sort of wing it. I might have, obviously, like, if I'm going to interview Connor, I'll be like, I should probably ask about boom, boom, boom. But I would never sit and sort of like go, I need questions. I'll, I'll wing it. I prefer winging it. A lot of people don't like that, but they, yeah, I prefer it. Just better flow, I think. Yeah. I, I think it's more natural. It's more raw. I, I started the podcast uh, a year ago and um, I would have always kind of had like little kind of cards and I would have like flipped them over and, and anytime I was asking the question, I would have been looking at the card and then had the camera on the guest. And I was just nerves and, you know, I, I was inexperienced at, at the start, but then I just threw those cards out, out the window and said, you know what, I'm going to just really get inside the guest's head and just ask questions I want to ask. And they most of the time end up being what the public really want to know as opposed to just you know the general questions that we're used to hearing off every single interviewer yeah well i think it's also it comes across as more organic if you're just mm. doing that if, if you can feel that it's going and i think more often than not if you don't have a question and then they they finish speaking your brain will come up with something and so I think that sort of pressure I do well under to just kind of keep it rolling. And then alternately, I think it's much more, it would still be a better piece of content if you want to describe it as that to have an interview where you've quite clearly flubbed it. But as long as you address it, like, well, I should have prepared more or made a joke out of it. I think those are still better to watch and more digestible than someone being like, and how do you feel this went? And this, I know I prefer, I would prefer, I prefer an honest mistake than a manufactured dialogue. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think, um, like I said, I was speaking with you through Instagram, trying to arrange this podcast, and, and I'd mentioned the Mike Tyson uh, question when, when you spoke to him after his fight, and you were probably the only one to ask him about the potential loss, or what what if, you know, and he was quite shocked for that. I think he even said, like, that, that's an amazing question. like you know. So what was that like? Was that a real pinch yourself moment? Man, my hands were under the desk, like because yeah. uh, he, because he's, he's an intim- he, he would have like an aura about him. And when I asked the question, I said, "Would it? Did you think that maybe if you sort of performed badly, it would destroy your legacy of what you've achieved?" And he sort of stopped and he just stared at me. And, and Tyson's one of those guys where it's like, "Is he gonna praise me or throw a chair at me?" So I was very initially, I was absolutely terrified, um, probably unfairly. And then when he started giving this absolutely amazing answer, uh, yeah, my body was just like absolutely like tingling, you know, it's like, I just got gold. It was like a great moment. I think I started like texting Lee and saying like, I just got some dynamite. So I was very proud. I was very, very, very happy. But that initially, like the adrenaline was through the roof. Mm-hmm. Tyson, for God's sake. You think they're the moments you kind of work for, especially in your field. You're, you're always kind of not chasing that, but when it comes, it's like, right, this is why I do what I do. Yes and no. I think those moments are rare and that's why they're appreciated, right? So if you go into an interview thinking like, I'm just, I've got to try and get gold, try and get gold, I think most of the time you'd, be, you'd end up be disappointed. Um, when, the, when they do happen, it, it's, 
it's better because it's an like I said about it's being organic. So I enjoy them. Um, but for me, what I the thing I enjoy the most is I, I like finishing an interview. I finished one with Dana the other day. Finished one with Connor the other day. I like finish the interview and being like, that was good. Like that was enjoyable for me, enjoyable for them, and enjoyable to watch later for other people. Those are like just to feel like you've done a solid job is like my favorite thing. Yeah, I think as well though. I watch both interviews. Uh, I enjoy. Connor's one it was a good nearly 30 minutes I think but I think the this the skill you have I find is you bring out nearly a sense of humor in the person also that they have there too but there's a sense of seriousness about interviews where nearly it's so formal that it's like right I'm going to just stick to this kind of structure and I'm not going to go outside of it and I know what questions I'm being asked I've been briefed or whatever I found with Dana like with the piracy thing and stuff like you brought out kind of a funny side to him where like fans necessarily might think oh that's the, the guy who runs the USC and he's the president he's quite serious but you're bringing out kind of the normal side to him with Connor we're just facilitating that Junior's running around the back of the chair and you know we're not going to cut this bit and we're not going to like try and make it look you know absolutely perfect because it's not absolutely perfect it's meant to be the way it is and while Connor's being interviewed you know the family are there if his son runs around the back you know other people would probably be like, right, well, this is a complete write-off. Let's start that again. So I like the way you kind of nearly facilitate it. Then Connor jokes back with you. And then, you know, you make some some good points with, like, the last poor year fight. And you say, like, you know, since then, you are now fathers. And you are now kind of grown men and matured. And you do have a good skill in that sense. And I, I look at that and I say, right, what can I take from Oscar and use on my own podcast without making it too serious? Because that's not what I want. So I do think you deserve kudos there. You know, you're pretty uh, talented at that. But is that just natural? Yeah, I've always been. I've, like, if there's a joke to be made, I've, I've been pretty good about finding where it is. You know, I've, I've always, um, like I said, I was a class clown. So I've always done that. And I, I, it's what I prefer to be. I prefer to, like, try and make people laugh and stuff. And obviously that can, sometimes that can fail miserably. But um, I think with stuff like, it's like with, Connor Jr. running around, it almost did me a favor because Connor probably started the interview thinking, like, right, interview mode. And then Jr. running around, it sort of, I think it just relaxed us both, actually. And as far as like leaving it in, I've always felt like you have to show what happened. And um, there's like a comedian, Bill Burr, he says, like, oh, if, if you tell a joke on stage and it dies, immediately address that it died and then sort of just fixes itself, you know? So I think if you, and that's why I, I've had like a couple of awful interviews, but I'll like make rip the piss out of myself for doing so um i just think you have to show what happens but just sort of indulge it in a way i think the people respect it more too yeah people kind yeah, of think... look at it and they they kind of go right this guy is human he, he will make a mistake but it's how he comes back from the mistake sometimes i get a lot of people saying that i should be more professional <laughs> so some there's a there's, there's an audience for everything right but i personally think that my content is decent and varied but other people want me to be more professional well, yeah, I suppose you could always look at those people out there giving constructive feedback and, you know, they're important people. But at the same time, then when you change yourself too much, then you're moving away from the organic Oscar and it's not really uh, your genuine self. And when you're working in that kind of capacity, when you try to fix yourself and, oh, look, I need to work on X, Y and Z, people probably then start to see that, oh, he's kind of changing his style a bit. You know, so you're better off being true to yourself but making tweaks here and there. That's what I found myself with this podcast, like at the beginning, getting nervous before doing it with certain guests and they're coming on. I'm like, oh, you know, what if I make this mistake or that? But now I don't, I don't feel 
nerves. I just feel excitement. I just feel like I'm looking forward to have a good, decent chat and ask questions that I want to know. And I've never had someone come to me and say, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask that? I've always had people say, you know, you asked this one and I was thinking the same or, you know, it's nice to be yourself. And, and people, people spot that immediately. They know when you're being true to yourself or not. Well, yeah, I think also on the flip side of that, people see easily when you're not. And that's, I just, it's not something I'm prepared to do. Like, I just don't, I feel like if you're trying to be something you're not, it means you're copying someone else and being less good at it. So if I was going to watch someone do something, I'd watch the best person in the field, not someone trying to copy it. You know, so I think it would hurt you in the long run to try and just carve out what someone else already did. So just be yourself Mm -hmm. and, if, if, like no one's completely dislikable eventually some an audience might not be the biggest audience but eventually you'll find an audience and if an audience an audience appreciates you for yourself that's going to be much more rewarding than getting a bigger audience for people who think you're what you're not yeah, I, like, I like that i like that answer yeah so what's the next week like so do you go to fight island now or what happens i'm there now i've been in you're, you're there now yeah i've been on fighting for the last week and this week oh, obviously you- is going to be yeah so this week it's going to be uh there's two fight cards so it's just going to be something every day busy stuff um just got to roll with it man just like literally the ufc will send out a schedule they'll say oh this time this place and uh it'll be interviews and weigh-ins and then fight night on saturday which will be mm-hmm. squeaky bum time and what's your overall thoughts on that i mean they fought before everybody knows how that went down but two different men two different uh different versions of themselves different weight class what's your opinion and thoughts on it uh i think i i'm connor will win I, i'm picking him to win i think um there's an interesting thing I, I i wonder about connor's opponents now where it's almost like getting the fight is a victory in itself and I wonder how that, you know, just I got the big fight, I got the big fight. And I wonder if that does something. I don't know. I don't know because Dustin is obviously so tough now. And uh, that he doesn't doesn't believe he, he's necessarily more durable or he's more durable, but Connors just hits that hard. I'm anticipating we'll get uh, quite, a, quite a performance from Connor, but obviously, uh, you know, he'll still be nervous. <laughs> Yeah, naturally, because anything can happen. It's the fight game, I suppose. Like even when you think of boxing and you think of certain fighters that are absolutely exceptional, but one punch and then it's lights out. So I, I feel with, with Connor though, with this one, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not nervous about this fight. Um, I mean, it's different when you're over there and you're in the in the camp and you're working with these guys and you know that there's that feeling of you know everyone's on a high and waiting for this to come, but. For me, I was more nervous at the cowboy fight because I was concerned with the kicks and I was thinking, you know, how is it going to work out there? And cowboy is decent on the ground. I'm like, well, I, I think he's just an absolute veteran. He's been through war upon war. So I was thinking cowboy is going to be a problem. And then when those shoulder strikes just start hitting his nose, I was like, this is a different beast we're working with here. And then I think I, I watched the, you know, Dan Hardy and the guys do a great kind of, uh, they, they kind of break the UFC uh, fight apart and dissect it and go through it. I think they have a certain name for it, but and they go and basically delve into it. And they kind of analyzed how Connor with the Mendez and the, certain other fights, how he moves the opponent to where the left hand will essentially strike the side of the face. So when you look at Mendez and Mendez was coming at him and he threw that kick to the stomach 
and Mendez was pushed back to the to the cage and then the shot followed and then the left. Cowboy, the very same. Cowboy yeah. throws a kick, everyone's like, oh, Connor then bounces back with an even better kick and then moves him to the left, boom, lights out. I feel he he kind of has that uh, he always had that ability of knocking anybody out. You know, everybody always feared, oh, you know, he's he's the, the guy who's gonna have the punch to take out this person. But I feel with with the, the physique he's in now through Tristan, the the you know, his endurance with, with um Colin and the doc and then I don't know how Roddy and John can improve him because I mean his striking and his groundwork in my opinion, even his defence against Khabib for the first first two rounds was was absolutely brilliant. Um but we all know that Khabib can just lie on an opponent and just wear them down, wear them down. I don't think you can be the fittest man in the world and complete complete triathlons. And I think Khabib would still wear you down by lying on top of you like that. But I feel with Warrior, I feel the only difference in this fight is he might take two or three more of them shots. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that analysis. I think, um, you know, the first time there's an argument that Poirier was emotional and that played into his performance. But I think if you took out any emotion, you've just got these two guys in a vacuum and had them fight, I think Connor's skills beat Dustin's skills. And that's just where we're at. Um, so I kind of expect to see that next Saturday. Mm. And what's your thoughts? With, I know everyone's probably asking the same questions, but what's your general thoughts of the fan situation? I know there's a couple of people in there and 2,000 will feel like 20,000, but what's your general uh, overall view on... Obviously, more people are going to be tuned in from home because the whole world is going to be watching now, whereas in Vegas, we would have had thousands upon thousands you know, into the T-Mobile. So what's the feeling? It's probably not going to affect Connor, but what's your overall thoughts on any fighter? Um, I don't know, because I kind of expected the fans to play a bigger role last night. And I don't really think... They sounded louder than 2,000. They're incredibly spread out. So it, it, it might sound on TV like they're in just one segment of the arena, but they're all the whole way around the arena, but there's like five seats between each person. So they're very spread out. So the, the sound sort of comes from all over, which probably makes a difference. But in terms of performance in the cage, we uh, I, I sound a bit like Dana here. I think he always sort of negates like little amount of fans, but we have, we've had bangers without fans. We've had bangers with fans. And I think it basically depends on the fighter going in. I do think Connor thrives with fans. And I think if it, either the two of them, it will benefit him just having some noise there. Um, I know he, he said he wanted to hear his punches in a quiet arena. Um, I think it's like the best of both worlds because you can still hear That's like amazing. a lot. He wants to hear his punches. That's brilliant. I mean, that's such a thing where, like, even with he's asking Dana, like, you know, what's the walkout going to be like? What's the arena? Like, he was asking those fine questions, and Dana's kind of saying, that's the motivated Connor back because when he wasn't motivated, he was just like, yeah, look, I'm going to show up. Let's get it done. So I like the fact that he's now kind of looking for the finer details, even like the sounds of the shots. Like, that's, a, that's an amazing point. Um, but what do you think then, with, with even just thinking, like, we can talk about the noise of the fans and the feel of the fans, but what do you think of the, the next couple of months with COVID? It's not going away. We could be here in this exact same position this time next year, only we'd have half the world vaccinated. How do you think the next year is going to work out for the UFC and then obviously Connor? Uh, I think we'll be back here in Abu Dhabi. Um, 
probably in a, in a couple of months it seems to be like they do a, a show here and then three months back in vegas and they show here i think the year is starting to look at places in asia where they're a bit more open and stuff like that but the annoying thing is i can't I, as you're well aware like you can't predict it it's you know when they first decided they're coming here for january they're going to have pool parties and stuff like that and then obviously no um it's just such a tricky virus to navigate i think they will be probably planning their schedule a month at a time for the foreseeable future but i don't believe you're going to see a full arena in the united states this year i I mean maybe in somewhere like texas florida actually but i think a safe (laughs) arena full in the united states i don't think you'll see this year which is a shame because i would like it to go back i'd like to go back to the pub there you go yeah, that's, that's obviously everything's changed there. I mean, what, what's it going to even be like post-fight when Connor is, is fingers crossed, victorious, like an after-party? That's going to be limited to what it always was. I'm sure there's going to be people there, but it's all going to be scattered and spread out and have to facilitate the whole abiding by social distancing. So it's everything's changed. Everything's different. We're all aware of that. But the fact that I think personally, the fact that fights are still allowed and are being enabled is huge. Like it, we would be sitting here now having this conversation and saying, oh, hopefully next year Connor will be back. The fact that he's fighting in the next couple of days is, in my opinion, more than we could ask for. So it's just hard that this time last year he was stepping up to the cowboy in full, full packed uh, arena. And I was in my friend's house. There was a ton of us watching the fight. And you were, you would have been there. And your thoughts were, let's go back, get changed, and go out and go on the piss. So yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, everything's changed. But the fact we still get to see a fight, look we should be grateful for that but what 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 do you hope before i finish up what do you hope for the next couple of months for connor who would you like to see him fight next i know we don't know what's going to happen i know we don't know if it's pacquiao ufc but what would ideally what would you like to see if you had your way this is going to sound like a really like political answer but it is the truth i would rather just see him do like what he wants to do in terms mm-hmm. of I, I obviously want to see him fight but in terms of what he wants to do who he wants to fight that's what's going to get you the best version of him mm-hmm. and i feel like you know it's been so much like um roadblocks and stuff like that and it's like he's been ready to fight covid stopped him and stuff i would just like to see a run um, you know i feel like we we've not been able to have like a run from him for a while so whatever keeps him motivated makes him happy that's that's what i'd ideally like to see him do mm-hmm. would you like to see a diaz three yeah <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i think connor would like I, I think the the third fight would go a bit differently i think connor would probably win the third fight a bit more decisively um yeah. but I, I think it's it's a fight that there are certain fights that have to happen and i think that is one of them that has mm-hmm. to. yeah definitely and then i hope obviously we all hope that maybe Khabib might think someday it's a good idea to come back and he would be facing a much different man um and maybe that fight will go the way it should and the way yeah, the I mean, should have. Yeah, I, I would just. I think Connor's made no secret of that camp versus the ones he's had for Cowboy and, and Poirier. Mm. So I would, I'd just like to see. I'd like to see the fight as it, as you said, as it mm. should have played out. The best versus the best. Mm, exactly. Yeah, because that wasn't his best version, and it's like since Cowboy, he's been training nonstop. So like this Poirier fight wasn't a twelve-week, a six-week camp. It was a year camp essentially. So I think the fact that like I was even watching Phil Sutton, I used to box for Phil, my father boxed for Phil, and um, Phil was saying, you know, he might take a week off, 
he might like he wants to get straight back into the gym and he wants to go right back at it but he was telling Ariel like ideally he will take a week to let the body do what it's got to do but he's got the mindset now where he's like I'll have a little bit of fun and then I'm straight back in the gym so I think we are looking at a much different Connor in terms of like the hunger is back he's nearly fighting like he he's nearly got the mindset like he's beginning again like he's trying to build again like you know so he's earned the belt then he earned the second belt then he fought Mayweather you know it's when you think of it and you think like what's next you always feel like surely he has nothing else that he wants like he's achieved nearly everything but it doesn't seem to end it's he seems to be hungry to be better and be better for him his family all the people around him and then just give the fans what they deserve and and what the UFC has become because of him yeah well you've got to do something with your time right you can't just retire at 30 but yeah no you're right it's it's uh, he's so successful and so for him to even consider continuing fighting trading blows like look at Calvin Cater last night that that wasn't very good for him um for Connor to still want to do that is is pretty it's pretty cool it's pretty awesome Mm. I think he's quite fortunate in his career that it's always nearly been the opposite way around, apart from the Diaz one. Uh, the Diaz two specifically, where, you know, that was a complete war. But most of his fights, the opponent's been on the receiving end of that left hand, and it hasn't been him taking those massive blows. So he's quite fortunate in that. And it kind of shocked me as well with back to Khabib in, the, in terms of, like, he'd want, why would you want to retire at that age? I know, look, there's probably things he, he promised to family, and there's probably things he said to himself, like, look, that's it, I'm laying the gloves down. But... Like to even think of the thirty and oh and think like if Mayweather walked away at 49, 49 and oh, like surely he'd want to get that thirty. But then there's the the fear that the man he's standing in front of in the rematch might take that twenty nine and turn it into a twenty nine and one. You know, so it's a fight I'd love to see, but I'm focusing now on just seeing Connor get through the poor year and, and not just be poor year, but prove another statement then. Yeah, I think, like I said about his motivation, let's enjoy the journey. But with the Khabib thing, I don't know. It's very rare retirement sticks in this sport. So Dana wants mm. to make a decision like four months after he did it. We'll see in two years. You know, people very mm. rarely stay away. So even if he decides to leave, I think. I've seen the, the video probably... circulating of them going into the room together. And they both went into the same room and shut the door. And that was like. I think we're all supposed to feel the same thing there. Like, oh, what what are they talking about? When when is he coming back? Um, you know, even could be being on the island. What what is the whole motive behind that? Well, he's coaching. He's he's got a family member fighting on Wednesday, so he's here to coach. Um, Dana did come out and say they met, they met and the uh, Habib says he wants to see something spectacular for next weekend, and then he'll come back and fight them. I don't know if Dana's been told that and is now reading into it too much or what you never know the UFC might even have something already planned and they're just promoting it this way to bring more attention to it the UFC likes to play games sometimes so Habib is Habib will do what he'll, he'll do and I'm leaning towards the fact they'll meet again but we'll see not much more so. I can give you than that I, I, it's, it's so hard to predict it's, it's very hard to predict but I think sports, that's the sport's crazy and like you said, if they're playing some sort of a game, it's, that's the exciting part of it, is that we don't know. And it's nice to not know. If they were to tell us today, it wouldn't be as exciting, you know. So I think, um, yeah, I'll let you crack on. Anyway, I'll let you get back to your very busy schedule. I really appreciate you taking time out to chat with me. Um, I would have liked to do a face-to-face like I did with Colin and, and many other guests through COVID, but that's just not possible. So maybe sometime if you're back in Dublin or you, you touch base over this side of the sea, 
we can have another chat and another catch up. But Oscar, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to uh, following the Mac Life to its 5 million, 10 million, 20 million followers. So I wish you the very best of luck and all the success. 50, even higher. <laughs> All right, mate. Thank you very much. Enjoy fight week. It's good to. All right, man. Speak to you soon. Thanks so much, Oscar. Thank you. This is all we need: coffee and a little bit of conversation.